So from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in this, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kevin, uh, for those who don't know me. And today we're going to be continuing in our Ten Commandments series uh, that teaches us how we as free people can live out the freedom that Jesus bought for his believers. Um, and today we're going to be on looking at our second commandment. Uh, but before we get stuck into it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. So prepare our hearts and our minds so that we might listen to your word and let your spirit transform us today. Amen. So at scripture the other week, um, I asked a question to the children I was looking after. What do you think God is like? And here are some answers I got. I think God is a woman. I think God is like my pet rabbit. I think God is a force. I think God is whatever we need God to be. But what do you think God is like? Is God just a good luck charm? a mysterious force, something that we can never touch, see, or comprehend? Or is God just something that we pray to in our times of need? It's an interesting question to ask ourselves, isn't it? But not only is it an interesting question, I believe it's a very, very important question. Because if we think God is like a rabbit, wouldn't all rabbits become an untouchable animal? If we think God is a force, wouldn't we have these practices and rituals that we try and channel this force? If God is whatever our desires want it to be, wouldn't God just become desire-based things? You see, what we think God is like will not only affect how we relate to God, but it will affect how we worship God as well. And this is what we read about in the second commandment. So it says, you shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, to, to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, the second commandment may sound like it's repeating the first commandment, you shall not have other gods, but reading it like this is incorrect. The first commandment is about only worshiping the one true living God, and the second commandment is about how the one true living God is to be worshiped. Or more uh, specifically, the second commandment com uh, forbids worshiping God by recreating him into any image that we think he is like. 
So today, to help us understand why we should worship God as he is, rather than worshiping God as we like, I've broken up our time into two main sections, the first being three reasons for the second commandment, and then the second being God revealed as man. And that's all found in your bulletins that you have on you as well. So God says, You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You see, this commandment forbids Israel to recreate God in any form that is found in creation as a means to worship him, even though it may be a sincere attempt. But what does it mean to worship something? Well, Timothy Keller says this, Worship is an act of ascribing ultimate value to something or someone in a way that engages your entire being. What this means is that the thing that you worship is the most valuable thing in your life that influences the way that you think, the words that you say, and the way you do things. And so the second commandment forbids uh, God's people to say to themselves, I think God is like this, so I'm going to make an image of it so that I can worship him. And for the Israelites who originally received these Ten Commandments, the idea of worshipping idols was ingrained in them. When they were enslaved in Egypt, they would have seen the Egyptians being bowing down to man-made idols. And now 40 years later, standing on the edge of the promised land that God has promised them, the nation that occupied the land had idols set up everywhere from the mountains down to the riverbanks, so they too can worship their gods. And so God tells the Israelites to not be like them and make empty, lifeless idols to worship him. But why was it so important for the Israelites back then? And why is it so important for us today as Christians to not make any images of God to worship, even if it was going to be a sincere attempt? Well, the three reasons I would like to point out. The first reason is God revealed himself as word. You see, God forbids making any idols or images of him because God, when he gave the Ten Commandments to Israelites, did not appear in visible form. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 4. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the fire. You see, during Israel's experience at Sinai when they got the Ten Commandments, God didn't appear to them in form. Not a person, not an animal, not a tree. But instead, God revealed himself to the Israelites through words. Moses then continues in Deuteronomy 4 and he says, Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make yourself an idol, an image of any shape whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any birds that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. You see, the logic is this. God didn't show the Israelites what he looked like. So the Israelites were not to be like the other nations that looked to the land, that looked to the sky of the seas, to recreate God in an image they thought God was like. And notice this, even if it were to be a sincere attempt to worship God, it tells us that we will become corrupt. 
You see, what makes the Israelites different is that they worship God by listening to what he says rather than bowing down to created idols. And this is what we see in Israel's history. God chooses priests, he chooses judges, kings, prophets to be his mouthpiece to speak to the Israelites and Israelites would worship God if they listened and obeyed. So the first reason why God tells us not to make an image is because God revealed himself as word. The second reason is God is rightfully jealous. So God continues in the second commandment and says this, you should not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, we would often associate with the word jealousy negatively. We all, too, we all know too well when, when someone is jealous. But our understanding of jealousy here needs to be pushed away because God's jealousy is not like that. It's a rightful jealousy. You see, God revealed himself through word and cannot bear to see his people misdirect their worship by ultimately placing value into created things which are in fact lifeless, empty, and ultimately not God. Imagine this with me. You're on a home renovation show like The Block, and you're renovating a house for this family who has lost everything. And when the time comes for the house reveal, the family, instead of running to you and thanking you for all you have done, they begin to thank the doors, the carpet, the lights instead. How ridiculous would that be? You're the one who built the house. You're the one who spent countless nights dreaming about it. The house doesn't deserve praise. You do. And I'm sure no one will think any less of you if you said that you were jealous. And likewise, God deserves worship to be directed at him, not at idols that had been created to represent who he is. So God is rightfully jealous when his people misdirect their worship. And because of that jealousy, God tells us this either would lead to punishment or to blessing. So God continues in this, uh, giving the second commandment and says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commands. Now, to be very clear here, God here is not saying that there's going to be a generational curse that goes for four generations or even this eternal blessing that lasts for a thousand generations just because. These generations are not to be taken literally, but rather help us compare God's punishment to his love. You see, God isn't out there to punish his people. God wants to bless them. But God will not tolerate when we recreate God into images that we worship instead of worshipping God as he is. So what God is saying is no matter who you are, no matter how your parents raised you, no matter what society you live in, no matter what influence your heritage, your upbringing, your friends, your spouse, who have influenced the way that you live, those who separate from themselves from me, those who hate me, will be punished. But on the contrary, those who love me, for those who keep my commands, for those who worship me who, as who I am, I will love you constantly and consistently. Punishment is only four generations deep 
which is measly compared to a thousand generations of blessing. You see, God is a jealous God because he has freed the Israelites from slavery, because he has freed us from sin. God deserves our worship to be directed at him, not at the things that try to represent who he is. So that's the second reason. The third reason why is because there is no adequate image of God in creation. So in Isaiah 40, God compares himself to idols that people have made, and this is what he says. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? And then again, God says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. You see, God is the creator. He created everything we can and can't see. And even though everything he made tells us something about him, nothing can adequately represent what God is like. Look at this portrait of Vincent van Gogh. Now, because it's a self-portrait, it tells us what, something about Van Gogh. It tells us what he looked like on a particular day in a particular year. But what this self-portrait doesn't tell us is what he was like. What he usually eats for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, what he did in his spare time, or how he treated people. It doesn't even tell us that this guy was mildly depressed. You see, even though this self-portrait tells us something about Van Gogh, it doesn't tell us exactly who he was. And so it is with God. Nothing can fully represent what God is like, and this is why God tells us to not make images of him. But for some of us, we might be asking, doesn't God describe himself as objects and forms in the Bible? And yes, he does. We see it all over the Bible, God describing himself like many things. For example, we are told that he is like a rock, He's like a strong tower or like a consuming fire. But you see, these examples from creations are chosen by God and not by man. He was the one that said, I am like this. So it can help us understand an aspect of him, but it was never fully intended to encapsulate what God is like. In fact, if we go through the whole Bible and collate everything that God said he was and make this hybrid form, that would not even be adequate to represent who God is. Because you see, these comparisons, these metaphors that God uses are used in a way to help us understand his words. And so if we recreate God as an image of creation, what we ultimately do is reduce God minimize God and belittle him. So yes, examples from creations do help us understand an aspect of God, but ultimately they can never fully represent what God is like. So why does God tell his people not to make images to worship? First, because God revealed himself as word. Second, because God is jealous and deserves our worship to be directed at him. And third, because there is no adequate image of God in creation. But you see, God doesn't only talk about himself as an object. As we read in the New Testament, what we see is God chooses to reveal himself as a living man. In Colossians 1, it reads, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
You see, God reveals himself through his son, the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one true image of God who fully reveals to us what God is like because he is God in flesh. But you see, just because God revealed himself as man, this does not mean the way that we worship God is any different. This does not mean that we have pictures of Jesus, pictures of a physical form of God to bow down to. The Bible makes no effort to describe the physical appearance of Jesus, and that is by no accident. In our reading today in Hebrews 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and from whom he had made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, God's method of revealing himself hasn't changed. God still reveals himself to us through his words. But rather than hearing a voice on the mountain through priests, through judges, kings, or prophets, we hear him through the words of Jesus. You see, all of Jesus' words, all of Jesus' teachings reveals to us what God is like. And all of this is recorded in the Bible for us. So then how do we worship God? Well, first it means that we need to fix our eyes solely onto Jesus. Unlike the things that God said he was like, Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is God in flesh. We know what God is like through the words of Jesus. It also means that we need to be Bible-based people who listen and respond to it faithfully because by it we hear and learn from Jesus' teachings. But with that said, a natural question rises, doesn't it? Does this make any image with a Christian theme bad? Well, no. You see, God isn't against images. As we read in the tabernacle, about the tabernacle where the Israelites would worship God before they had the temple in the Old Testament, we read that it was a spectacular sight, adorned from head to toe with gold, the finest linen, laid with symbols like plants, trees, and cherubims. What God is against is any form or object that tries to represent him and is used as a mean for worship. You see, what this means for us today is this. As freed people, we must be careful to not recreate God as an image in an attempt for it to represent him and use for worship. But how might this play out in our lives? Well, I've broken it up into three key areas that we might be in danger of doing so. So the first one is personal worship. Now, for some of us, uh, we have, may have grown up watching our parents bow down to idols at home. Well, I hope it's clear to us that God's people are not to worship God like this. But for others of us, the act of bowing down to a physical fall may be foreign. But even then, we're not free from this danger because we're increasingly living in a world that is defined by mental images. Returning back to my scripture class, some of the children in the class said, I think God is like a jellyfish. I think God is like my bed, warm and comforting. I think God is like a warm hug. 
I get from my parents. You see, like physical idols, we may be in danger of recreating God into mental images that we use to represent God for worship. And if we're not mindful of this and continue practicing this in our lives, like Moses said back in Deuteronomy 4, we will become corrupt. The other area that we may be in danger of is congregational worship. The things that we do here on Sunday or when we go to a conference or gather together as God's people. We have to be careful when we attend or even when we plan one. We have to be careful and not let what we think what God is like shape our thinking or our decisions, but instead let the words of Jesus revealed to us in the Bible frame all we do and say. One particular example here at Chapel Hill um, is in our songs. Uh, We've continued to try and be careful with the songs we sing here on Sunday, to not sing songs that are based on human thought of what God is like, but rather sing songs that are faithful to what is revealed in the Bible. And lastly, worshipping icons and in space. Things like architecture, stained glass windows, artworks, graphic design, or nativity sets. You see, these things traditionally intended to point us back to God. It reminded us of biblical stories or biblical truths, and it encouraged us to be biblical-based people. But with that said, these things can easily become images of worship that try and represent what God is like. You see, these things may be helpful in aiding our worship, but we have to be wary to not turn these things into icons that we worship God by. You see, God chose what, he's lo- what he is like in creation to help us understand an aspect of him. But these things were never intended to represent who God is. But in the New Testament, God fully reveals himself through his son, Jesus. And it is through his son, Jesus, which we read in the Bible, that we know what God is like. So who are we to say, I think God is like this or like that? We are his creation, his very special creation nonetheless. But that gives us no position to say who God is, because God is greater than anything we could ever imagine. You see, if there's any form or images that tries to represent God in our lives and is used as a way to worship him, we need to flee. We need to run away from it without ever looking back. And instead, we need to make it our mission to worship God for who he is rather than what we think he is. For God is far more greater than creation and has fully revealed to us who he is through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself fully in Jesus. We thank you that we can know what you are like through the words that is revealed to us in the Bible. So we pray that through your spirit that you will help us fix our eyes on Jesus and help us to be lovers of the Bible, to read it daily and to respond to your word. Help us not recreate you into things that you are not and use it to represent you in an attempt to worship. So we pray that we'll make it our mission to worship you for who you are rather than what we think you are. For you are mightier, grander than anything we can imagine. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.